Welcome to Brothers and Who, a Married to Who spinoff in which me, Jake, and my brother Alex watch classic Doctor Who in whatever order we choose. We are currently at the still very near the beginning of our <laughs> watch through of every companion. And this week we're here to talk about Ben, Ben Jackson, if you're nasty. Oh, we is. <laughs> and uh, we're doing so by watching two of his stories, The War Machines and The Macro Terror. Uh, if you're new to these kind of companion episodes that we're doing, we don't really do a huge deep dive into the companion. We're just kind of using this exercise as an excuse to watch stories that we maybe otherwise wouldn't have watched. You know, there's plenty of podcasts that do real deep dives. Um, we'll talk about each episode, and then when we're done, we'll get into the character of Ben a little more. Those conversations tend to actually be more about the actor <laughs> than about the character. But with these 60s characters, there's so little to go off of. And I should say, what we're going to be doing going forward, and what we've been trying to do is, for every companion, watch their first and their final story. So the reason we're doing these two for Ben is because he shares a first story and a final story with Polly. So we're going to use the first one to talk about Ben, and then we're going to add the macro terror onto there. We're going to use the final one to talk about Polly. That'll be the faceless ones. And then we're going to add the moon base because those are the only four stories available <laughs> that those two are in. Boom. Easy. So we move on by first talking about the war machines. Written by Ian Stewart Black, directed by Michael Ferguson, aired June 25th to July 16th, 1966. Alex, I've been doing this lately. What number in the Dark 2 magazine poll do you think War Machines came? Oh. Classic stories only. So if you take just the classic stories, there's 156 stories. Where do you think it fell? Hmm, I kind of want to lean to the upper half. Um, I'm going to say maybe like, I don't know, 50? You're on there? Oh, so by upper half, you mean top half? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Um, no, it's in the bottom half, Oh, but just barely. It's number 82. Okay. However, do you know what's directly behind it? Oh, so, okay, so it's it's number 82 in the classic. It's number 133 if you include New Who. Okay. Of which there's 241 stories of. So, again, just after, just right right above that 50% mark, or halfway mark, I should say. Um, right behind it at 134 is Cold War. Like, it's so much better than Cold War. It should be 100 spots ahead of Cold War. 
Cold War. Which one was that again? That's written by Mark Gatiss. It's uh, Matt Smith and Jenna Coleman, Submarine, Ice Warrior. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they had the weird, <laughs> like, stick hands for, yeah. like, the monster that was yeah, the, the Ice, Ice Warrior. Yeah, Warrior comes out of the shell. Yeah. Nah. So, uh, fuck you, Doctor Who fans. <laughs> You're all terrible. Okay, Alex. The War Machines. What'd you think? I enjoyed it. It was good. It was fun watch. Um, I liked the, I mean, so hold on. Yeah. So the, what was the movie? The war games. Was that directly pulled from this? What? <laughs> the war games. Oh, with the with, supercomputer. Yeah. With the supercomputer where they're like, we're going to destroy humans. <laughs> I mean, the, the like bad guy supercomputer isn't new in science fiction. Well, and yeah, certainly I this suppose. isn't the only time they're going to do it in Doctor Who. Yeah. But yeah. Get a shift on. I thought it was great. It was a lot of fun. I liked the hypnosis bit, though. Like, kind of the supercomputer just taking over people. Like, that was kind of scary, especially over the telephone. Like, fuck. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'll have more to say about that when we talk about the macro terror. Because, you know, they're both written by the same person. What would you think? (laughs) I love this episode, or this story. You loved it? Loved it. Oh, wow. I had such a good time watching this. I think William Hartnell is on fire in this one. Like this he was is very good. He only has two more stories before he's done. So this is kind of like the height of people being aware of his illness and you know the stories you hear about him being unwell and you know in the tenth planet he has to just take a story or take an episode off because he can't physically come in. Mm-hmm. That's very soon after this, but in this, he's fucking all all over it. He's yeah, he's physical, he's hilarious, he's you know, just kind of like man about town. Yeah. Everyone knows him, everyone likes him, and he's you know, that awesome shot at the end of episode two where the war machine is coming. Maybe down, it's the end of episode alley, three. Yeah. And he's standing there. Yeah, everyone yeah. runs away and he just steps forward and you get that hero shot yeah. that like you never see in classic <laughs> who or at least in the sixties. Yeah. Fucking he's he's a hero. Like yeah. he's never been like that this in Superman, any story we've seen before. Superman pose. That was really cool. All we needed was a fan off to the side to like billow his cape <laughs> a little more. Yeah. Get his uh scarf blowing. Yeah, yeah. I took no notes on any of these. So you're going to have to tell me out a little because unlike most stories, I watched this weeks ago because only so like of these four stories we're going to do over the next two podcasts, only the War Machines is on BritBox. The rest are I own all of them on Blu-ray or DVD, depending on what it is. Yeah, so we have to share them. So I have to watch them as quickly as possible and then get them to you. You brought it up. There's... um. The Doctor and Dodo, poor, poor Dodo, yeah. land in, this is the first story in contemporary Earth that they've done in Doctor Who. Oh, okay. Except maybe Planet of Giants, but they're like miniaturized, so they don't really interact with anybody and they're in someone's backyard the whole time. Yeah. But uh, they land in contempor- contemporary Earth. The Doctor just like immediately has a feeling that something's wrong mm-hmm. which if this is new who doctor steps out of the tardis weighs a sonic round looks at it and then it's just like oh something's wrong yeah yeah 
And then we, you know, same thing. But here he's just like, oh, I have a like a rash. <laughs> like I have like a physical <laughs> ailment <laughs> that yeah. is indicating that something's going on. And it's always new construction. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's a real building, the post office building. I was going to ask because they did a lot of outdoor <laughs> on site shooting it seemed like for this oh, yeah, yeah. lots of locations shooting yeah. something we haven't seen a lot of in hartnell's era which was super cool uh this you know kit peddler he was kind of brought on around this time to be the scientific advisor okay and he came up with the idea for the cybermen so he has like a co-writing credit on the 10th planet okay because as a scientist his or as the scientific advisor, his job was to like just kind of know what's going on in the world of science and see something that he thought would would make a good episode of Doctor Who or a good story. So with the Cyberman, it's like, you know, the first heart transplant happened and people are kind of going nuts about like what makes you human, what makes you you, if I were how much of you can I replace with other parts before you're not you anymore, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So he's like, oh, let's take that a step further. What if we're replacing ourselves with artificial parts and stuff like that? And mm -hmm. so that's how the Cyberman came to be. So this was kind of his first idea because computers were starting to network with each other. And so he, you know, people are nervous about that. Like what if computers can network, then what's to stop, you know, the Russians? Everyone's scared of the Russians, I yeah. guess, <laughs> from, you know, invading our high tech stuff. And then. That building, the post office building, was like a marvel and had a supercomputer in it at the top that I think like uh, decided where phone calls go <laughs> or something oh, like that. Okay. And uh, it was like a switchboard. Kind of. I, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> so Kit Pedler see, sees that and is like, oh, that actually would make a really cool story. And that's how Votan came into existence. Yeah, I thought it was a really cool concept that they already had this idea of like a, like a central AI that just uh, runs simulations and figures out the best course of action for humanity to survive. Like yeah. Just that was cool. Like even at this time of writing, I thought that was really interesting that they're already thinking about this stuff. Yeah, like, we're like uh, 20 years away from the Terminator and yeah skynet and all that stuff yeah it's just nuts technology <laughs> <laughs> scary in the story they just go up to the top floor because like this is the most like modern new who era that william hartnell is in his time like he we just cut through all the bullshit like you can imagine that at the ground floor of this building, he just flashed some psychic paper. Yeah. And they were like, oh, come on in. They were just immediately there. Yeah. He's up at the top floor and Welcomed. everyone's like, oh, this is yeah. the doctor. And I was like, cool. We will now do whatever you say. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, they were just then, like escorting him around. Every, like people knew him. They're like, oh, you must be yeah. the chap that so-and-so was telling me about. But then he also like has friends. So like that, um, that Lord, what's his nuts? Oh, the the guy that called the the army in. Yeah, yeah. So he like knows the doctor from a previous story. Oh, that or a previous adventure. So the doctor's just like, oh yeah, I used to hang out in London like all the time, <laughs> and so I have friends. That's awesome. I had a lot of fun with this story. There are three really long scenes 
of either the machine killing a bunch of soldiers, the machine driving down an alley, yep. <laughs> or the machine uh, shooting a bunch of other stuff. Busting through crates. There was a lot, million shots lot of, of crates stacked on top of each other. <laughs> uh, so yeah, could it? Could have done without that. Maybe this could have been a three-episode yeah. story. Yeah, for sure. But you put the money into building the war machine. You got to use it. On the DVD, there's a uh, an extra where they bring the war machine to Blue Peter. Mm-hmm. And they have like a little thing with it. <laughs> it's so lame, but it's awesome. Um, what did you think about the end, how the doctor left the machines? Like, there's just machines around the world, primed <laughs> to go, waiting for... Well, I don't know if they're around the world. Oh, it was just in London? Yeah, I think they say there's like 11 of them. Okay. There's a fi- there's a number that's not crazy. But also, he does only stop one. But then he stops Votan. Right, but... He said that they're they're all waiting for a command that will never come, and that's never yeah. been hacked before. Like someone's just not gonna be like, <laughs> right. "Hey, what's this thing?" And then you realize it's just waiting for input, and be like, "Oh, I could have it kill everyone." <laughs> yeah, I do. I do like the idea of just like, oh, I mean, they do that in Doctor Who again. I mean, it's essentially what Into the Dalek is, where it's like, well, here we'll just make this one on our side and have it kill all the other ones, <laughs> or. <laughs> Just go up to the top and shoot the computer. Um, it is due to like a script error where no one was paying attention. One of the few times the doctors referred to as Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. Votan <laughs> yelling a Doctor Who times. is required. Yeah. Yeah. That was weird. Do you think it would be like, I feel like they could bring back those machines because they did leave it in a, in a way. Like <laughs> I could see the master just being like. Oh, I know these things are here. Let me do some fuckery with them. Right. Like that would be kind of fun. And and you get to bring back like the really shitty boxy things with the big <laughs> arms. It'd be hilarious. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> trying to think of a way to update it. Like there's so much other alien technology just laying around Earth <laughs> from all the Doctor right. Who stories that yeah. you could just be like, well, some bad guy found this. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like, oh, these are in Torchwood now. Like I wouldn't have an episode of uh Yeah, I'd be surprised if Torchwood didn't like hack that network and bring one of them. <laughs> just have an episode where it's like, well, I mean they showed the unit ar- the black archive. Like it'd be cool if there was just one of these in the oh, background. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I think um Moffat really likes this era of Doctor Who. Anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> um so obviously talking about the doctor, the character in this one. I think he's fucking awesome. He does like crazy math calculations in his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like, though, that for hit when they first meet Votan to test the AI, they ask it. A, he asks it a question that you could do on a calculator in half of a second. Yeah. And he, he's just like, oh, that blew my fucking mind. This computer <laughs> found out the square root of something. And then like the doctor has to like kind of look up and be like two five yeah Yeah, that's right it's like you don't fucking know yeah (laughs) and then it's dodo who actually asks it a real question like what is tardis stand for yeah yeah and it knows which how does it know when it knows everything so when and then at that point when dodo was like staring and not responding i thought it was like sucking the knowledge from her brain like i thought it was a brain sucker type thing and that's how (laughs) it learned brain sucker thing but 
it, it wasn't. It just knows everything, I guess, which that's not how that, that should work. Well, it's uh, it's connected to all the other computers in the world. I suppose. How many other computers know about the TARDIS, though, on Earth? Eh, most of them. <laughs> At this time? He's around. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, think of all the times in the past that, like, the 10th Doctor showed up. So by 1966, he'd be all over the place. I did. I had notes on this story. And then I think uh, my power went out. We had like a oh, like a planned outage in my neighborhood <laughs> that I like completely forgot about. Oh, that sucks. And it was out for like a couple hours. And uh, so I don't have my notes. But um, there's there's one scene. He goes to like the science society <laughs> to uh, for this press conference about Votan. And they have a, a thing showing the network and like all the other computers it's going to be linked to. Yeah. And one of them's the White House. Yeah. Now. I don't know much about American politics in the 60s. <laughs> There's no fucking way that America would allow a British computer yeah. to <laughs> no connect way. to their network. So do you have anything you want to say about Hartnell before we move on? Cause, or the doctor? Because I think he's just dope in this one. No, I think he was definitely, like, for throwing MVP, is it's it's Hartnell for this one. He was He was great. He carried every scene he was in. It was awesome. All right, so let's move on. To our companions, old and new. Yeah. Um, Dodo's immediately hypnotized. And gone from the show. Just sent <laughs> off to the country to a farm upstate. So she's dead, <laughs> right? Hear the gunshot <laughs> in the distance. <laughs> Living with all of our childhood pets. Yeah. and that, But that's what we talked about in Dodo's thing, right? Like she just... Yeah. She just let go. So her... Gone. Well, her contract expired... After the second episode. So oh. it was like, we can rewrite, like, give her a new contract where we actually have to pay her to be in these last two episodes. Or we could just not. <laughs> and it's I mean, crazy. we got these, like, smoking high young kids. We yeah. don't really need Dodo. <laughs> True. I will say Ben and Polly were were on the on the bangitude spectrum, I think. <laughs> They're, they're looking pretty good. Well, that's the thing, too. So we have a new producer, Innis Lloyd. He wants to make the show how he wants. And so, you know, every new producer, even in Modern Who, is going to want their own companions, their own doctor, their own kind of style of how the show would go. So he was button heads with Hartnell about, like, the direction of the show. Hartnell was just in a bad place anyway. He puts in his companions he very quickly will have his doctor mm -hmm. and the show will change quite a bit to a lot more like base under siege format that we get to know with the second doctor yeah first impressions ben and polly what are you thinking uh i like them they're they're very likable uh polly's a smart uh like lab technician is that what she was doing she's like a secretary oh she was a secretary okay um, but she likes to party, goes to clubs, and Ben, he's a sailor. <laughs> who lives at a club. Who lives at a club. <laughs> <laughs> they, ju they just seem like a fun fun bunch. I'm excited to watch a couple more of theirs. Yeah, and we had had, I mean, Dodo's contemporary, but we'd had a run of, like, future companion companions from the future with um, Steven and Vicky, if that's a run. So we're getting into the late 60s now, so it's uh, 
So we have like this hip, cool mod chick. We've got this sailor Cockney dude who it's kind of funny because with Dodo and we talked about it, she started with a Cockney accent. The doctor constantly gave her shit about the way she talks. Yeah. And by the time her time's over, she's like even into like the third episode of her first story that we saw. Her accent's different. Yeah. She's proper English. And And so it's funny that like the next companion, they're like, let's try that Cockney thing again. And the doctor does not give a sickle shit. He's (laughs) perfectly fine with it. Yeah. Um, Ben also quick to a fight. In the very first scene, some dude's uh, getting a little handsy with Polly. Yep. And he's like, I got this. Just pushes the guy over, ready ready to fight. I will say it it felt a lot different. So we've seen Ben and Polly in The Power of the Daleks, but that was animated. Yep. And seeing them live action, it's, it's, a, it's a different feel. Like it feels mm-hmm. like Ben felt way more engaging. Like just the way the actor was playing Ben yeah. was so physical and like animated like his face was animated he was very like high energy mm-hmm. it was it was just cool to watch yeah and we'll talk a little bit more about michael craze and his acting ability later when we talk about him I, I what i do really like about him in this story is that he is focused on saving polly the whole time and not because like he's sweet on her because she saved his life. Yeah. Like, even though she was hypnotized, she still allowed him to escape. Mm-hmm. And she's not sure why. She's kind of conflicted. Yeah. Um, and that was pissing me off that the doctor didn't give two shits. <laughs> like, he's like, nope, she's gone. She's dead. Well, I think he's kind of like, wherever she is, like, there's nothing we can do about it. Ending Votan will save her. <laughs> like, that's how we save her. Yeah, but he sent a machine to go blow up the place, <laughs> and a dude died in that, which yeah. could have been her. <laughs> but also, like, so what I like about Ben is he sticks around to help the doctor trap and incapacitate the one war machine. Yeah. And even though he all he wants to do is go save Polly, and then the doctor's like, all right, we got to get this thing, like, um, reprogrammed and into that office by noon and ben just goes great i have till noon boom he's yeah, fucking he's gone. Just gone yeah yeah and it's like the doctor doesn't even he's like well then ben he's like oh wait there's, well, there's nobody here and he doesn't even know she's there but he knows the doctor's plan so he's gonna go there to make sure that she's not there i think he's got an idea yeah i guess yeah because she no someone said it well, she was missing from... He he asked one of the guys who after... Or like while they're still under the influence. And he's like, she went to that main hypnotized oh. dude for reprogramming or like retraining. Oh, right. Yeah. Or, or she, to await punishment or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she was going to throw herself on, on the <laughs> yeah. on the slab for the machine to cut her down or whatever. Um. So Polly, you know, we only get her as her. For a little bit in this story, but she seems super fun, but, and she's like really cool, but also nice. Like she kind of adopts Dodo right away. Yeah. Takes her to like, oh, I've, I've got some friends at this cool mod club. Let's go there. Yeah. She's a, <clears throat> she's a regular, the bar owner knows her. She's like behind the bar. Yeah. Making eyes at Ben. Yeah. And, uh, 
So yeah, her friend, who's like the bartender or owner or whatever, is like, ah, oh, this fucking muck at the end of the bar has just been out there moping all week, and I can't get him out of here. So she's like, oh, I'll just go cheer him up because, like, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. But then she even says um, when she's talking to him, she's like, oh, didn't we meet like earlier or a couple days ago? And he's like, I don't know. And she's like, oh, you'd remember. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was that that whole scene was really fun. It's just Polly being cool. <laughs> yeah. And we get some uh, doctor in a nightclub. <laughs> like William Hartnell doctor. He wasn't really like partying, though. Well, yeah, it was he like just showed up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but still. Uh, and that's that's when Dodo kind of flips the switch and. It's really the last we see of her shift on. being Dodo. Yeah. You sticking with Hartnell as your MVP? I think so. He was he was really good. Yeah. I liked him a lot. Michael Craze would be a really close second for me. But like this is my favorite that the first like that William Hartnell has been in a long time. Yeah. Like he's he's super confident. He knows immediately what's going on. He knows all the pieces involved. And he's just like, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. And I'm just not going to tell anybody. <laughs> like, it's very, like, later doctors. It's very, like, Sylvester McCoy. I'm just like, I know everything that's going on. I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm just yeah. going to let everyone possibly die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think um, I had seen this once before many years ago. All I really remembered was the computer and like the nightclub scene or the dance club. And watching it this time, I fucking loved it. Nice. So moving on is now time to talk about the macro terror. Woo. We have known about the macro for a long time as new who fans or people who started with new who we saw the macro terror or the macro in gridlock yes series three um so this is one i've wanted to watch for a long time turns out while watching it i have seen it before oh <laughs> i because like i bought it when it came out like uh a year or two ago yeah and so i'm watching it, i'm like i recognize everything that's happening but i must have like been watching it while doing chores or something because i yeah didn't was not locked in so anyway the macro terror written Again, by Ian Stewart Black, directed by John Davies, aired March 11th through April 1st, 1967, almost a year later. Alex in the Doctor Who poll of the 50th anniversary Doctor Who magazine poll. Where did this fall in only the classic stories? So with how much it's brought up by... Like when something's referenced in New Who with the macro and like people like lose their shit. It's got to be like beloved, right? So I'm going to say 50 again. Like around there? Around the number 50? Yeah. No. Is it low? It's a little lower. It's lower than the War Machines. Really? It's number 95. I would not guess that. Huh. And then if you add in New Who, it's number 150 out of 241. So again, below the halfway mark, it's right in front of Let's Kill Hitler, which Let's Kill Hitler is way better than this. I loved Let's Kill <laughs> Hitler. What the yeah. fuck? So right. again, uh, 
Doctor Who fans who vote in a Doctor Who magazine poll, fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one last thing I want to say about the War Machines. Yeah. So I heard this on the Flight Through Entirety podcast. I don't know how true this is, but the War Machines is the season three finale. And so the first Doctor is in the first two stories of season four, which is the Savages. And then I can't remember exactly what it is. The Savages and then the Tenth Planet. Might not be Savages. Might be Smugglers. Starts with an S. So instead of renewing William Hartnell's contract, because it would expire at the end of a season. Yeah. Instead of doing that, they had to like rework his or a contract in order for him to just be on for these two stories. So like two months essentially. And that means that in a show that has his name in the titles as the lead character, he was essentially contract wise, a supporting cast member Wow! in his own show. That's uh did they give him the smaller, the smaller trailer too? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Alex, the Macro Terror, completely animated for us. Um, did you watch black and white or color? I did color. So did I. Yeah. Okay. Um, what you think? I really enjoyed it. Um, it was, it, it made me think of how well Doctor Who could do as just a cartoon as well. Like <laughs> right. it just looked really good, and the animation was very good. I'm actually really surprised that at no point in the 70s or 80s they didn't just do a doctor who cartoon yeah like because now they have the daleks right which well that was a one-off oh they're not doing like a whole series for that no it was part of the time lord victorious Uh, thing they were doing oh okay uh yeah that would be that'd be cool what one thing that kind of disconnects me in these animated stories is that and I didn't realize it until I started watching the Faceless Ones. And that has two episodes remaining out of six. So it has two live action episodes and then four animated. So it wasn't until watching that that I realized when there's a live action episode mixed in, the animated ones have to match it so that it all fits together. And that in these fully animated ones... They don't have to match anything. Yeah. And so they can look however they want them to look. And it they it looks really different from what we know the story look like. I was gonna say, like, the scenes with the giant crabs chasing Jamie around. Yeah. Like, how would have that have looked <laughs> in real well, time? Even just scenes where like the doctor is smuggling that dude around. Yeah. What's his name again? Oh, I more more tack, something like that. Uh, baggy eyes guy (laughs) (laughs) but like when they're like outside the compound it's this huge space yeah you just know it didn't look like that and there were a lot of different scenes and i don't know if they would have used that many sets in shooting the actual thing you know what i mean right like it it just felt bigger because they could animate it bigger you know yeah and so i'm sure when you're making it you're like oh this is great we can show it how they would have wanted it to look when they're writing it which is true yeah because they still have the scripts they still have like the direction notes right yeah and they have the audio yeah and so 
yeah, it's tempting to be like, oh, we can make it look as cool as we want, you know, under their very small animation budgets. Mm -hmm. But for me, it just doesn't work because I am imagining 60s Doctor Who and it doesn't look like 60s Doctor Who. Yeah. And even in this one where I think that if this is one year, if you haven't listened to this podcast before, um, I don't like the power of the Daleks, I think because of the animation. And this one, the animation is better. Like the second doctor. They actually have like facial expressions in this one. Yeah. Yeah. So the second doctor is one of my favorite doctors. And it's because it's Patrick Troughton, who's a great actor, Mm -hmm. but uses his face a lot. And so in an animation where his face doesn't fucking move, like in the power of the Daleks, which they had a reduced amount of time to create, like it just doesn't hit me in the same way. And, you know, all the supporting cast all look the same. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's too polished because there's there's no like dirt on anything <laughs> and it <laughs> yeah. just it just doesn't connect with me. Um, this one, I think, was a little better in that regard. Like, I think the I think the second doctor does come across more as he maybe would have in the live action. Yeah, I felt I felt Patrick Trouton was coming through pretty well. Um, I like the doctor in this one. He was cool. I'm trying to think of like who the big drive in this story was what do you mean like like who is the who was like the the character that kind of drove the story for me and i i kind of want to say it's the uh the pilot yeah cuz he was just this guy living in this place and these people show up and uh kind of turn his universe upside down like did, he didn't realize he was all brainwashed and stuff and <laughs> it was when he was a pretty big name, um, the actor's Peter Jeffrey. He he was like a get for really? the show. Okay. And so like you can see like there's promotional images and stuff where he's kind of like in the forefront. Nice. Did they have like screenshots of the macro of like what it looked like in this story? So that was the next thing I was going to ask you. Did you watch any of the special features? No. Well, in there, there is a like one minute long video of all of the little shots that they have that they've found so sometimes they're like two seconds long sometimes they're like five seconds long and so they just run them all against each other kind of in order and it's like a minute oh but you do briefly get to see a macro and it's actually pretty okay was it like as big as they animated it kind of yeah I mean, really? I'm sure in a lot wow. of shots it's just a claw, <laughs> but yeah, you do get to see like, like when Polly gets pulled. Yeah, like, yeah, that that couldn't have looked that cool. <laughs> <laughs> that they don't have, but they do have a shot of her in the claw and like Jamie beating on it with a stick. Oh, nice! Wow. Um, I would say that this is like I'm glad we picked this one because this is really a Ben story, in that it's him. Like losing his way, that kind of kicks off a lot of stuff. Yeah. But then also him coming around oh, shit. Uh, to, again, quote the Flight Through Entirety podcast. Um, when they look at these 60s episodes, they refer to every story as either pre or post colonialism or a like rise. They refer to class a lot. I mean, all all British fiction does. And these guys are Australian, but they're a colony. Um, 
so like in the uk class is brought up a lot so like ben's referred to as having a working class accent not a cockney accent he's a working class guy okay paulie's upper class and you can tell just by the way they speak yeah okay and so this story again i'm quoting the flight through entirety podcast i'm not quoting them i'm paraphrasing them so this story is about kind of like the working class essentially working for the man or the capitalists the only way to convince the working class to keep working is to convince them that they're that they're needed that like the work they do is so important and that the world can't run without them yeah and you see that in like when our politicians are campaigning they're going to these places like coal mines and automobile factories and these poor, poor towns who think that the president's going to reignite their economy by bringing back these industries. Yeah. When in reality, the president doesn't give a shit about <laughs> any right. of these yeah. people just wants to, cause they're all, they're all poor people and any politician, they're working for rich people who give them money so that they can keep their jobs. Yeah. And so that's what this story is kind of about is Ben, the working class man being convinced that what he's doing is for the greater good and that he needs to keep towing the line and keep his friends towing the line so that the facility, is that what they call it? What do they call this place? The, the colony. The colony yeah. can function. Yeah. And that it's for the good of everybody. Which it isn't. It's only for the good of yeah. the macro. And it was it was really creepy in that first scene when they were going through all of this and everyone was just saying like they, they were well they walked in and like the guy was listening to music, like, yeah, music like kind of helps us get through the day or whatever. And then everyone is so peppy and happy and they're like, <laughs> going to work, we're working. And the whole time you can even see like this is where the animation was really cool, is you could see in the background Jamie just had this like suspicious look on his face. And he's like, these people are insane. Something's <laughs> right. crazy here. And it was, it was really, really neat to kind of see that. And then it goes into the whole like brainwashing thing. You're like, oh, so they're all just kind of crazy right now. And that's another thing we're talking about. So this is our first story with Jamie in it. Um, the first that we can watch. He was in, he's been on the team for a little while, but those stories don't exist. Mm. So we can't watch them. Is, does Jamie coming on make Ben redundant? Are they uh, too similar? I, yeah, I, I guess I would agree on some level for that because they're like, we were just talking about the upper and lower, like working man type and they both kind of fit that. Yeah. And they're both kind of like the strong arm, like they're fighter both, guy. They're both quick to fight. Yeah. Um, Jamie gets to do all the fighting in this one because Ben's hypnotized most of the time. Right. Uh, yeah. Jamie's also working class in as much as that he's from the past. Okay. So he's a Highlander from, I don't know, wow. the 1600s. So he's handling this <clears throat> uh, like space colony pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another thing is Jamie's like from the past, but... This is Innes Lloyd's Doctor Who. So he is just like a swinging 60s cool kid who's wearing a kilt. 
Hmm. Nice. He's from the mid 1700s. Wow, he's doing really good. Plus, he's crushing that uh, that sweatshirt, that, <laughs> that turtleneck. He wears the turtleneck a lot. Hell yeah, turtleneck and kilt. In um, Michael Craze, Michael Craze's his name is Craze. I'm gonna say like it's Cray apostrophe s. <laughs> In Michael Craze's MythMakers interview, he does say that this is the only story they did where he feels like he got to do any acting hmm. because he's conflicted he gets to play the other hypnotized ben who's the authority figure yeah um but then he gets to slowly come to and then also in one of annika wills annika wills plays polly uh in one of annika wills biographies autobiographies which i i tried to buy one and they're out of print, so they're like $200. Jeez. Um, she says in one of them that in this story, she realized like how good of an actor he is. And she's actually really amazed that he wasn't super famous hmm. just because of how good he is. And he is really good in this. Yeah. And we'll talk more about his acting ability later. But let's get back to Macrotair. Same writer as War Machines. Do you think he wears three or four sheets of tinfoil on his head when he writes? Because he is afraid of brainwashing. <laughs> well, as I'm going to ask, is this is virtually the same story as the yeah. machines? It's very similar. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a being, in one instance, a computer, in the other, a crab, who are, who have hypnotized a large number of people to do their bidding. Um, for the computer, it's so that they can take over the world. I don't know what their goal well, is. It was the next evolution of humans, like was the computer age. So, okay. yeah. And then the crabs just got to eat. Yeah. So they were, so they were in kind of a, not parasitic. What's the, what's the other word? Like sim symbiotic, symbiotic relationship. Not really. I mean, the people weren't under duress. They weren't dying. Like <laughs> they, they were slaves. You can't call slavery a symbiotic yeah, relationship. I suppose. Yeah. Um, hmm. But we have a three-person TARDIS team. Well, let's say it this way. One member of our TARDIS team gets hypnotized. Then, even though they're hypnotized... They allow one of the other TARDIS team members to do something wrong. In the War Machines, Polly allows Ben to escape. In the Macro Terror, Ben sees Jamie grab that dude's keys yeah. and doesn't say anything. And then it all ends with the doctors able to reveal to everybody like how they're being played. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's basically the same story in the same season or not, not the same season. And this guy writes one more story. I think it's the smugglers. No. Was there was there a bad guy that was hypnotizing people to smuggle things? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy writes one other Doctor Who story, The Savages. So he does write three stories in like a very short amount of time. And the savages is um, 
that's Steven's last story. That's where like two. That's again about class. That's like uh, the savages versus the. Uh, I can't remember what they call themselves. Essentially, like the upper class, the elites, whatever the hell they're called in that story. And there's a civil war and Steven stays to help rebuild the society after this war. Hmm. So, yeah, he's obviously of a theme, but he got to do three Doctor Who's in a very short period of time. So especially with like current Doctor Who, Jodie Whittaker's era, era. <laughs> Jodie Whittaker's era. Um, it's often reflected on like what a good number of people in the TARDIS is, what a good TARDIS team number should be. I personally like big TARDIS teams, but it's hard to do well. Um, in the war machines, Ian Stewart black kind of is forced to write Dodo out because of the contract reason. Yeah. Uh, but in this one, he's got a three person team. And I think he does a really good job with giving everyone except for Polly something to do. <laughs> in mid-sentence, I realized that I was wrong. So I had to <laughs> throw that in there. But I think I think it's a good story for a large TARDIS team. Yeah. It didn't seem uh I don't know. It didn't seem too distant. Like there there were some things for most people to do. So I don't know. You're not you're not going to agree or disagree. Well, I'm trying to remember, like, what did Polly do? <laughs> well, she was assisting the doctor. So she she was with the doctor and the doctor's like, oh, I need this. She goes against it. You know, the doctor needs someone to talk to. Yeah. So that he can tell the audience what he's doing. Hmm. Uh, but what this writer does in both of these stories we've seen is make one of your good guys a bad guy. That's how you give someone every, or that's how you give everyone something to do. Right. Which is fine. Yeah. Like uh, it works in these. If, uh, I mean, spoiler alert for next time in the faceless ones, Polly gets hypnotized too. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't write that, but she doesn't really get hypnotized. I'm not going to tell you exactly what happens, but it's like the same thing. So I watched, those that's are like awesome. the three I watched in order. I watched War Machines, Macro Terror, and then Faceless Ones. It's like, is this all I fucking do? It's like, there's too many people. Because again, that one's Jamie and Ben and Polly. Yeah. It's like, well, we got to get rid of one of these fuckers. Jeez. So yeah, maybe maybe that's the trick. Yeah. What'd you think of the doctor? He, I don't know. Like he was there, but he kind of was like background almost. Like there wasn't. I mean, he, he obviously blew it off the rails, like, at the end. Like, he brought everyone to, like, see what was happening for real. But it didn't feel like he was in the story a lot. <laughs> well, what I do like about him in this one is that he's very funny. Yeah. And he's constantly just, like, messing with everyone. Yeah. He's, so like, like, challenging them almost. Right. Yeah. Because he understands what's happening. So, like, in the first two episodes, I think he's really just with Modak and like trying to figure out what's going on or pr protect him, save him, get him, get him to trust him and then figure out what the threat is. Yeah. And once he sees the macra, then he just starts messing with everyone. I mean, that scene in like the control room for the, for the gas, mm -hmm. when the guy in there, the official, I think is his name. He 
he's like just screwing with that guy and he's like doing the calculations on the whiteboard or mm-hmm. or the glass board and he's just like doing it all in his head and he's just like making jokes and then the guy he splashes water and he's like oh they would totally something really bad would happen if they use this equation and yeah he's just like messing with that guy for that whole episode he's in that one room with Polly and that guy and he's just like messing with all the dials and be like no 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 this is this is okay and then he has like this constant battle with the head of security that dude was like just the the animation was good but even the voice acting like i could tell he was just a prick <laughs> it was very well done and if you if you watch there's a shot of him in that like 1 minute of surviving footage and it looks just like him nice but he so the doctor kind of realizes how this place works and how kind of binary it is mm-hmm. because the programming all these people are under if you can prove just like one one bit of their reasoning to arrest you if you can prove that wrong they just assume they must let you go so like <laughs> at least twice he's captured and like talks his way out of it and they're like oh yeah okay well then you're free <laughs> and he just gets to do whatever he wants yeah and i really like that part of it yeah that was that he immediately that understands good. it and just starts using it he's yeah, I, I like the second doctor. He's uh he's just quirky. He's definitely way different than Hartnell doing it, which I yeah. mean, is probably a, a very <laughs> it's kind of the whole fucking point. Yeah, the whole point. But uh yeah, I'm excited to watch a couple more. Again, in uh Michael Craze's Myth Makers, he talks about that. And we'll get a little more into his relationship with each doctor later, but he says that um like if Patrick Troughton had come on and just play the same character as William Hartnell, like the show would have been over pretty soon. Cause like ratings were already dropping, whatever. But because they decided and he decided to make the character very different, that creates regeneration. Yeah. Like he could have just put on a wig and just played an old man, mm-hmm. but instead he plays, they, they all decide together to do this cosmic hobo thing. And because of that, now the show can change every however often you need it to, to be a completely different thing. It's crazy. They're revolutionizing television (laughs) as they go. Right. But also they, they reeled it back a bit. He also talks about, so like in these first stories, like empower the Daleks, he's got that big dumb hat on. Yeah. He's playing the recorder non-stop we saw the recorder in this one <laughs> right yeah and so that like i guarantee you that's not in the original like i bet they pull that oh the recorder yeah oh <clears throat> or does he actually play it or do you just see it well i think he, i think you hear it because he was playing it as oh, he like, walked right into the into the room and then paulie and ben are like doctor and he's like so oh. the powers that be like after the first couple stories were like it's too funny. It needs to be pulled back. It's <laughs> funny. Well, they they didn't want just like a straight up comedy. Yeah. And so it does kind of change a little bit later, but he's still Patrick Trout and he's still goofy and fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. From the TARDIS wiki, these are the changes in the animated version. Okay. Episode one begins with the final scene from the moon base in which the time travelers see the image of the claw on the time scanner. Apparently that was just at the end of the last one and not. At the beginning of this one. Oh, okay. The refreshing department sequence is removed, including the rough and tumble machine. Instead, Polly already has her short haircut. 
Oh, so apparently that yeah. hair. So had a haircut. <laughs> I've heard that they were actually really mad because she just showed up with that haircut. Oh, but that haircut is like that's as mod as mod gets. Like that was the style. And but in the very next story, her hair is long again, so she's wearing a wig. <laughs> mm. They did not like the short hair. Oh, I thought the short hair was cool. Um, all characters except Ben keep the same clothing during the whole story. So apparently that's new for the animation. Uh, Polly, Ben, and Jamie are all sleeping in one room during the brainwashing scene rather than Polly having her own room. Makes sense. You'd put Polly in her own room in 60s television instead of have her sleeping with two boys. Oh, so, okay. Um, hanging lights are added to the colony. The macro now have legs. <laughs> Apparently they didn't have legs. Wait, what? What were they then? Were they not crabs? They might not have just been able to show, oh, build legs or whatever. Gotcha, yeah. Uh, the doctor writes the formula on a transparent board instead of on pipelines. Uh, Medoc's corpse is changed into a puddle of ooze. Apparently there was a, he was just lying there dead. Um, Chicky, Suna, and the pilot's secretary all look the same. They were three different characters, and for the animation, they just made them one person. Oh, all right. Even though they're voiced by different people, but for the animation, they just made it all yeah. look. Hmm. Um, many macros are in the control room instead of just one. <laughs> uh, the leader. Yeah, I was thinking how they maybe showed that. Uh, the leader of the macros gray rather than being just a slightly lighter color. And the final sequence of the doctor and his companions taking a leaf out of Jamie's book and dancing their way out of the colony is omitted. Apparently, they all dance their way out of the colony why take that out? That what? seems like the best part. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> like they they were, oh, they were partying and because they did have that party at the end. Right. And so they were just dancing and then they just. Yeah, they just like, danced their way out the door. Did, did, did the Irish goodbye? <laughs> just <laughs> see ya. Uh, yeah. So, McTerror, thumbs up. I was down. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, an MVP. Uh, I'm going to go Ben. He was dynamic. There was some character stuff there. It was good. Yeah. It was well acted. Okay. It's now time to talk about Ben. The reason we're here. This is our Ben episode. Hooray, Ben. Um, ben, played by Michael Craze. Michael Craze sadly passed in the 90s from a heart attack. Oh, shit. Um, 1998, he died at the age of 56. He had like a he had a heart condition that made it so after his heart attack they couldn't operate on him and i think he died the next day mm. i did see his myth makers and so at the time he's probably like in a he's probably 50 he looks 75 like he looks really rough Whoa. so i don't know if that's because of his heart condition or if it's because he ran a pub during the 80s and 90s <laughs> I was going to say, like, the way he acts, I could see him having heart problems. Like, he was animated. Like, just full energy. Like, in the War Machines, he does have kind of like a like a leathery, beaten face. Like, he does look much older than he is. I, I guess I can't even think of a scene when he was standing still to me for me to look at that. <laughs> anyway, um, so Michael Craze did a lot of TV and film work in the 60s and 70s. He started in musical theater. He was like discovered when he was like 12 or 14 as having like, as he says, a perfect, a perfect boy's soprano voice. Hmm. So he got, he was very young and was like in professional musicals 
wow. in big theaters. Nice. And that got him an agent for TV. Did a bunch of TV stuff. Um, he was in a show called Target Luna, which was produced by Sidney Newman and written by Malcolm Hulk, who also wrote The Faceless Ones, Ben and Polly's last story. So they're Doctor Who people who knew him. So he, you know, people would probably suggest him, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm guessing he got a call to go see about Doctor Who instead of like some kind of cattle call audition process. Right. He didn't do a ton of acting in the 80s and 90s. He did a little bit, but he also ran a pub. And just kind of acted here and there. But he did a lot of conventions. And he enjoyed them, it seemed. Or at least enjoyed the money. <laughs> he well, also... He's, he's running a pub. He's probably loves the kind of camaraderie with the other people in Doctor the, the Who. The chats. Yeah. Um, he did direct and produce and write and star in like a short film that he made and... He like won awards and that was before Doctor Who hmm. and he never wrote or directed anything again and he says in his Myth Makers it's because he didn't have any money like he didn't have the money to do. so he had done some play and got like a big chunk of money for it so he put it towards making a short film and then like nothing came out of it even though it was successful weird how do how do like uh, indie films make money they don't so, but if it's award-winning, someone would see it and be like, hey, we want to hire you to direct oh, X. So no one just reached out and be right. like, oh, okay. In the extended media, Ben and Polly get married. Okay. They are divorced. Okay. <laughs> and then... um, Oh, ben, so Ben proposed to Molly... In a comic called The Love Invasion. Unbeknownst to them, their proposal was witnessed by the Ninth Doctor and Rose Tyler. Hey, nice. Ew. Uh, they eventually break up and marry other people, but are brought together again by the Second Doctor and Jamie in a short story called That Time I Nearly Destroyed the World Whilst Looking for a Dress. That sounds <laughs> like a crazy story. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the character a bit. We often say that companions are like a reaction to the companion that they're replacing. Yeah. So he's replacing Stephen. Or I should say Ben and Polly are kind of replacing Stephen and Dodo. Yeah. Because they are a package. They come together. Stephen wasn't really written in the way, as we talked about last time, Stephen wasn't really written in the way that he thought that the actor, Ben Peter Purvis, thought he was going to be. And that he wasn't kind of the rough and tumble fight guy. He had to kind of be a blend of Ian and Barbara together. Mm -hmm. Ben is the rough and tumble fight guy. Yeah, he's he's like, he's, well, I mean, we saw it. He's the bar, he's the bar scrapper. He's the brawler. Yeah. And he's a military man. He's on shore leave. All he wants to do is get back to his ship. Mm -hmm. And if you watch all of his stories, he don't fucking shut up about this ship. Oh, really? He just keeps talking about it? Just wants to get back. That's hilarious. So why is he traveling with the doctor if he... It was an accident. They just went on 
Oh, I suppose the, the doctor the can't control it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Okay. And also, you know, we already talked about it in, in as much as we say that he's a reaction to the previous companions. Um, Steven's from the future. He doesn't quite fit in modern London. And Innis Lloyd wants, you know, he doesn't want teenagers like Vicky and Susan and maybe Dodo. I don't know how old Dodo was. I think she was an adult in her 20s. But he so he doesn't want a kid to watch and be like, oh, I could be that kid Mm -hmm. on the TARDIS. He wants a kid to watch and be like, oh, I can't wait till I grow up and to be as pretty as Polly or (laughs) yeah, like, oh, I'm going to be a tough guy like Ben or whatever. And so Ben and Polly are, you know, one part about being mod is like financial uh, independence. Mm -hmm. So like they're young. But they don't ever talk about their families. Right. Like they are independent people. Like when with Tegan, as you know, our, our favorite Tegan, she doesn't fucking shut up about her family. Mm-hmm. We we meet her aunt, we meet her grandpa, we meet like <laughs> she's clearly like and then in Modern Who, apart from Martha, ain't nobody got their shit together. Yeah. <laughs> like Rose is still living with her mom. Yep. Donna's still living with her mom. Donna's like 40. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, Amy and Rory, they they grow up together. They they start out pretty young, but et cetera. Um, and so so these guys are are adults, but young. And so I think that's part of the appeal and part of what Innisoid wanted. He didn't want Ian and Barbara, who are maybe 30 or mm-hmm. what, whatever they were. Yeah. But he doesn't want vicky or susan who are children he wants sexy adults yeah and so they're just banging on the tardis (laughs) (laughs) so what do you think about that i mean we don't have 60 sensibilities but from a from a male companion like if we're just cutting the show off at steven dodo what do we want next would you prefer a slightly older couple, you know, just to call Ben and Polly a couple just because they're coming on the mm. show at the same time. Would you prefer kind of the family dynamic of Ian and Barbara, the adults, and then the child, Susan or Vicky? Or, you know, as as we get into the 70s, it's the doctor and a and a woman. And that's it. Yeah. But if we're... Or, you know, that could be one of your options, too. What kind of style would you prefer? I guess putting trying to put into context this time in Doctor Who, like seeing what we've seen so far in the 60s, taking everything else out of it and just being like, what do I want next from here? I think I think Ben and Polly is probably a step in the right direction. Like it feels fresh. And it's different, fun, mm-hmm. like it's energetic. Um, I guess if you're if you're following, if you're trying to like follow your core people that have been watching it, maybe this is also their next step. Like if they've been watching it as children, now they're getting into this like uh, early adulthood era. Like maybe that is the it's right. It's been three years. Has <laughs> it only really been three years? <laughs> yeah. Well, then never mind. Uh, 
but I don't know. It, it just makes it, it's different. It's very different. And I, I think if they would have gone back to anything that the, that has been done before, like you said, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have succeeded like Doctor Who has. Like they, they just need to always kind of be different every time. Yeah. I'm bad at choose like figuring out what different is because once I see something, I'm like, oh, that's all there is. But then once something comes in, you're like, oh shit, that's different. Like I'm really bad at that, but I, I like Ben and Polly. It's it's really cool. What do you think of the decision to very shortly into their time just adding Jamie? So like uh, how how it worked, Jamie was in yeah. the Highlanders. He was not supposed to be a companion. He was just in that story. He's not even in it the most. Like there's other characters that are in it more than him. Mm-hmm. They just liked him. I wish they would have waited for a character like Jamie because I really do think the doctor with just Ben and Polly would be gold. I, I do think Jamie is a little redundant at that time, but I've also seen some of Jamie later. And I think he's great. So yeah, I, great. I would want him part of Doctor Who. We'll but... talk about him in three podcasts. From now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I also, besides just wishing that maybe Ben got a little more time to shine. I also kind of wish Ben and Polly had more time with the first Doctor. Because mm. they only do three stories with him. And even though they do all of season four. So the rest of season four is all the second Doctor. I kind of think of them as first Doctor companions. Maybe that's just because the sec or season four doesn't fucking exist, so you can't watch any of those. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think going contemporary was smart. I think going like super attractive is smart. Although <laughs> maybe could have gotten a taller dude. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> he weighs a buck thirty, and he's a head and shoulder shorter than Polly. Like a buck thirty, wet. Yeah, <laughs> he's and he's the action man. Yeah. Like Ian yeah. would bench press this dude with one hand. I was surprised at how, yeah, that's one hundred percent true. But I was surprised <laughs> at uh, like he he's like the he's like the short like firecracker, but he's not like super built. And then Paul, well, they do no favors with his outfit. Yeah. Like, let's put him true. in the tightest, tiniest T-shirt possible. Yeah. To have him run around in the war machines. Uh, it's it's funny to think of going from Ian, who's just like a head taller than every man in every story they do. And then go to Steven, who's even bigger than Ian is. He's a fucking monster. He was huge. But they just don't use him in that way as much. Yeah. Did they be like, you know what we need? Nick Punto, (laughs) (laughs) second baseman for the Minnesota Twins, the smallest guy on the team. (laughs) I I should pick like a contemporary baseball player like uh, Dustin Pedroia or something. (laughs) uh, There's like, you know what we need? Mighty Mouse. We just need this tiny little guy who just beats the shit out of everybody. Or like a lot like Jamie, which is, again, so redundant. Like he like gets his ass kicked, but is just like happy to start a fight. Yeah. Even, even though he's going to lose, which I, I guess is fine. Yeah. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Cobra Kai lately. It seems like the right thing to do. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to burn through the rest of my notes here because I did watch Michael Craze's Myth Makers, and there's some interesting stuff that he says in there. He says that him and Annika Wills got along really well. 
but didn't really stay in touch because like after the show she like moved to india <laughs> like she just bounced wow. she's a model she can go wherever she wants and be a model i suppose but she got married um he got married to the person who was or a person who worked on one of these stories either the macro terror or like the smugglers or something um but he said they didn't see each other for years until like a convention like 20 years later and they were just like immediately best buds again like they get along super great nice he is michael craze like the first person in all of these myth makers interviews i've been watching who doesn't really have anything nice to say about william hartnell Hmm. i suppose that was kind of in his dark days then well they didn't get along so like yeah. everyone else we've seen so far uh nicholas briggs the interviewer in all of these always brings up yeah so nick or yeah so william hartnell kind of had a reputation for being a bit curmudgeonly how did and everyone's like oh we got along great he's the best i love him um michael craze is the first one to be like yeah he was an old angry man <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't that old he's like in his 50s yeah. um, he says they did not talk outside of work they went he said they went to dinner once and hartnell had a couple drinks and like it was the only time he's ever seen william hartnell be a human hmm. he said the rest of the time it was just about work he was super like on their ass about being professional yeah and it was like on set was just not fun that's too bad not that they he also was like it's not a bad thing like it's okay to just be professional and not have fun like, true yeah. it's like we had fun with each other we can go to our lives or whatever it's just we weren't friends he does say then that the atmosphere completely changed when patrick Troughton came on yeah and he's like patrick Troughton's fucking great he's an amazing actor He's super chill. He's joking around on set and he's just like, he's able to take a line that was written, say, make the sentiment exactly the same, but kind of change the words to how the doctor would say it mm. because he was, he internalized the character of the doctor. And so like when he was acting, he was the doctor, but he could still like have fun. Yeah. Whereas William Hartnell. And I think that's kind of evident in a lot of the, external media we see about william hartnell is that he was really nervous the whole time he was on doctor who he was scared because yeah. it was unlike anything he'd ever done he was probably the most famous he had ever been it, it was just hard for him mm -hmm. whereas patrick Troughton was just like let's fucking go this is great yeah <laughs> everything's cool um that's cool so he, he got along with Troughton really well but also he does he does like constantly say that patrick Troughton's like a great actor yeah you say often patrick Troughton's your favorite right favorite classic he's up there um my opinion always changes it kind of depends on where we are like i'm really warming to colin baker right now because i'm, oh. I'm kind of in that colin baker zone for what i'm watching outside yeah. of the podcast uh it doesn't take me long to be like john Pertwee's my favorite doctor <laughs> if we're kind of in that era yeah, because um, I'm trying to think. Was it, was it you that said that uh, Peter Capaldi and John Pertwee, Pertwee are the, probably the the two best actors that's ever played? Uh, no, not Pertwee. I'd say 
Tom Baker's a good actor. Patrick Troughton's a really good actor. Or Troughton. That's Sylvester that's McCoy's a really good actor. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, that's um, cool. Yeah. As as we've been talking about, you know, Jamie coming onto the show, kind of being redundant or making Ben redundant. Um the interviewer, Nicholas Briggs, asked Michael Craze that very thing. And he's just like, you know, people always ask that. I didn't think about it at all. Hmm. It seemed like, oh, they, you know, they can bring on another actor. That's fine. And okay, there's another dude, whatever. So who liked, like, who was it that liked um, Jamie? Like, was it the producer or was it the cast? Well, it'd have to be Ennis Lloyd, the producer. Okay. But I mean, you see people, like when Freema Adjwin got cast, like everyone around, she just was fun to have around. Like everyone just liked her. Mm-hmm. But it's ultimately Russell T. Davies' decision. Yeah. So if he's on set and the other producer, the showrunner's not really on set all that much, but the other producers are. Mm-hmm. And so if they're like, oh, we actually really like this girl, like may, maybe let's take a look at her. He's going to take a look at her because they're his coworkers. And, yeah. Hmm. So yeah, in, in any interview with him, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get that he was upset about Jamie coming on, but. Like, who wouldn't be? You'd have to be. Well, Jamie's bigger, <laughs> more physical. <laughs> but also... Looks pretty. <laughs> also, I don't think these two ever thought of it as a job that was going to be for more than one year. Because I think that was kind of the template at this point. Yeah. And so they had a one-year contract. The year was up. They bounced. Whatever. Yeah. They got B-roll under... Well, not B-roll, but they got film under their belt and their... Their agents are peddling. <laughs> so next time, Alex. Yeah. We're going to do Polly. Polly. It'll probably be a much shorter podcast than this one because we've spent a lot of this talking about Polly. She's great. So there's not going to be a lot of new to talk about other than I'll watch her myth makers and see what she has to say. All right. <laughs> um, I'm in. We're going to talk about Polly by watching the moon base and... The faceless ones both have some existing episodes and are filled with animation. <laughs> um, give me the song. Uh, this has been Brothers in Who, our episode on Ben. Uh, please check out our regular feed, Married to Who. I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, probably months from now, but we've just wrapped up the Peter Capaldi era and are moving into the Jodie Whittaker era. On behalf of myself, Jake, and my brother, Alex, thank you so much for listening. Please join us next time as we talk about Polly. Wow, <laughs> <laughs>